0: that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, welcome to, I think it's episode eight, you guys, and eight's my favorite number, and I'm so excited because one of my favorite people's on my show right now. Episode 8 of the Karen Kenny Show. I'm so excited. And look, you guys know me. I'm not super fancy. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and read. like She's got this amazing bio, but I'm not going to like read the whole thing. But it will be on the podcast page at the end. And I'm also going to have Susan like tell you a little bit about herself in her own words because I don't like to speak for people. But I will say this. When I think of Susan... These are the words that, like, pop into my head, okay? Writer, speaker, diversity, race, badass, smarty pants, leader. Like, you have such an incredible energy about you. I remember the first time that we met, and we'll talk about that and stuff, too. But you just have, like, a a vibe about you, a spirit about you that I love. And so I always like, I don't like being put in a little box. Like, you know, I'm like, yes, I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. I'm this I'm that. But like, but who are we really, right? And that's some of like what we'll talk about today. Um, but you are, I'm going to read this. You're a writer, a diversity educator, a speaker, and a trainer. I knew you when we first met. You were a professor uh, at Wheelock College in Boston. Uh, and it says you were also a youth worker. Because I remember you used to work with the YWCA, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you now consult with organizations who are looking to make sense of our current cultural shift, which I think is fascinating. So I can't wait to talk about that. And then one of the things you wrote one time that I thought was fascinating on one of your bios, one of your bylines in one of your um, magazine articles, is you said, I think about race a lot. And you said it like da 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 da. So I can't wait to just dive into all of this stuff. So, first of all, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here.
0: Oh my God. I'm so jazzed. And so, will you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself in your own words? Like, how do you identify? Like, what are you doing on the planet right now? Like, what's up for you? <laughs>
1: What am I doing on the planet? I think that's a great place to start. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think
1: I was put on this planet to think about race and diversity. Uh, that's my area that I think about, that I talk about all the time. And I think that that's my jam. That's That's what I like to talk about. I like to think about how we come to understand who we are and what that means to us in terms of what the life that we kind of choose to lead from there. So, uh, I am a transracial adoptee and I'm biracial. So, I like to say that I started thinking about race and doing this work around race like while I was way back in utero <laughs> um, a long time ago. Uh, and so, I have spent my whole life really. On the line of race in America between white communities and black communities yeah and I've also spent a lot of time professionally thinking about what that means um, and helping people to navigate those lines so that we can hopefully get to a place where we have uh, more unity and more justice for people and less division
0: amen I love that and I think so much when I talk about storytelling and stuff one of the things in spirituality one of the things I talk about is taking the personal. Personal experience and then somehow translating it uh, if you're a good enough storyteller and making it like a universal experience. So when you say, you know, you talk about people, how to navigate those lines. It's fascinating to me because you speak. You can speak about this so personally because you spent, I mean, just as the way you came into the world, you were on those lines and crossing those lines and touching those lines and stuff like that. So you, um, so basically you're you're biracial, you said, but you were Mm -hmm. adopted by white parents, correct?
1: Right. You- I identify as a black person. Yes. Um, but the, and I was adopted at a time where adoption was closed, so there isn't really any receipts on me. Um, but I identify as a black person. That's how I've kind of um, experienced my life. Um, and I was adopted by an all-white family.
0: Yeah. So that's incredible. And it's interesting too, because my mom was adopted. Mm. And so I, you know, I always say, and back then that's when the church kind of used to handle the adoptions in some communities. So there's no record. And I often say like, I could have people out there that look just like me. Like I could have like cousins and aunties and like, I have no idea. Right. Uh The whole thing. Wait, now are you, are you curious? Oh yeah. I've tried to find them. I'm but
1: here's the them. thing, now you can take a DNA test and someone can just pop up at your door and be like, hi, I'm your cousin. Like, would you do that?
0: I have already done it. Oh, so, my God. Did no yeah. one come no one came to your door? No. So people have come forward saying that. Um, so we're like my system was mostly kind of spearheading it because I look exactly like my mom. And so, um, I love your dog. I don't care if you box. Um, so I look exactly like my mom. And so my sister was like, you have to take the DNA test because you'll have more mockers or hitters like on probably that side of the family type of a thing. Mm -hmm, We mm -hmm. found some cousins and some stuff and we're trying to piece together this crazy story, but I don't still don't really know the answer. So some part of me, has like, I've made peace with it no matter what happens, like whether right. I find them or don't find them. But yeah, I'm, I'm wicked curious, so I'm like, yeah. oh my god, I can't wait to find out. So that makes me ask, Have you done the DNA test?
1: No, man, no, I don't need people popping up that I don't know. Like- I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've- I've always felt like I have two older brothers who are adopted. They are both white. They're not transracial adoptees. Yeah. They're also adoptees. And so it was really normal in my family to be adopted. So in that way, I feel like I, I know a lot of adopted people feel that very keenly, you know, like this desire to know. And I... I have always kind of taken that just as that's my lens in the world. Yes. And I know this might sound strange, but for me, it feels very freeing, you know, to not know and just to be on this journey and to take it in whatever way it comes to me um i find really exciting you know so i kind of live life it's like like it's my personal game show yeah, um, yeah and so i really like that and so i'm a little wary i'm wary of dna tests for a bunch of reasons
0: sure a lot of people um, are like don't you know, give them your information yeah. don't give well, those people well, more they, they-,
1: they could clone you i don't want to be clo- what if i ran <laughs> into myself and i looked better
0: dude that is so funny yeah. which leads me i said we are going to talk about this because you just said something that I loved, and I want to touch on this and this is so left field like it just happened Mm -hmm. but we were talking about the lighting in our spaces right and how Mm -hmm. you have such a warm glow and stuff and I was saying like yeah I gotta like I gotta make stuff in here look better and I said but I don't like to use filters like I like to keep it real and Mm -hmm. you basically said what would I filter (laughs) like (laughs) what could I find wrong here and I was just like oh my god like I love when I meet women who well people people but women especially who Mm -hmm. are just like in their skin like they know who they are they love how like they love how they are I'm not saying we all couldn't use a little obviously work in the personality department but we embrace like this is us so can you talk a little bit about that like you know, it could be so easy being in the world. There are so many people who walk around, especially women, not being confident, not being sure of themselves, not knowing themselves. So where do you think that you're in a, like confidence and sense of self? Um, Because like you said, you were like a biracial kid adopted growing up in white communities. And so that must've been like, how did you start to figure out who you are to yourself first and foremost?
1: I mean, I I feel like uh, it, not to say it isn't challenging. It was really challenging. I always felt like there was, you know, not really understanding there was something about me that made me different. And like, you can think about like, when you're three or five or seven, you don't really understand what it is that's making you different. Um, And I think that's why I always had this kind of curiosity around like what is this thing that people see in me you know and I always was this little brown kid with this big afro (laughs) so people saw me in ways that were different than how I saw myself
0: can I interrupt you Yeah, yeah how did you know that they were seeing you differently were there some cues or mockers or things that were said like what was your experience that you now knew that the people outside of you were experiencing you differently
1: I, uh, I can remember being really young. I think I must have been maybe about five or six. And I had a little friend over playing and we were watching Bugs Bunny. And it's this episode called What's Up Doc? Where Bugs Bunny Goes to Africa. And in the yes. episode, there are all these like Africans. And at one point, he's like stuffing plates in his mouth to make his lips really Oh, deep, I remember so, that episode. So they won't yeah. know it's him. And my friend turned and looked at me and said, oh, that's what you are. And I remember thinking, (laughs) Hmm, I really don't, and and like thinking, I don't have a plate in my mouth. Like, why would they think this about me? And so, you know, there was always this feeling of there being a lens or a window that people had with me that was different than I had with myself. Um, and I think my my parents did a really great job of making me feel like I was who I was. Um, so I like to think of it as my like star child of the universe phase. It was the <laughs> 70s. I was like, woo, I'm just, just like whoever I am, you know. <laughs> and so I had always had this odd disconnect between the lens people used for me. And my own feelings about myself. You know, I love to read. So I read lots of stories where people were all different kinds of people. So I thought, well, people can be all different kinds of people. And I never always, I never really understood what the lens was that people were using for me. And so I think that's where my interest in race, specifically race and representation came in because I wanted to understand what's the filter people are using. And a lot of times that filter came from media. Like my little friend all those years ago, well, those are black people on TV and you're a black person, so you must be like that. And that in my mind as I got older was a whole set of ideas that weren't really about me as a human, but were about people's ideas about race, that I was going to be loud or that I was going to, you know, be mature, or that I was going to be aggressive. Like all these things that people read onto me that I had to really think about, are these mine or are these other people's ideas that they're putting on me?
0: Oh, that's so good. And that's exactly what was going to be my next question that I asked you. So I'm so happy that you went there automatically and shared it. Because I do, I, I talk about this all the time. Like, I remember, so I went to Boston University mm-hmm. and my first communications class ever, because I was a communications major. Me too. Cause commun- yeah, because communicating, I'm, I'm always fascinated by how people communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. Um, One of the first day, uh, my first day of my first communications class, the professor saying the message sent is almost never the message received. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, wait, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by this idea. And I I just kind of see it. Like you have these two people talking, right? But we all have our own filters that exist. Mm -hmm. And they can Mm -hmm. exist because of race, they can exist because of sex, they can exist because of class, socioeconomics, Um, whether you were abused, inappropriately touched, what happened Mm -hmm. to you as a kid, we have all these layers. And Mm -hmm. so somebody could literally say to you, and this has happened in relationships, my own personal relationships as I was, you know, growing up, like, somebody could say to you, I love you. But by the time those words got yeah. through your own filter, right. that's not what you actually heard. And then right. you put a bigger lens on it, which you said, which was like media. And I remember when, um, so the way that you and I met for our viewers, uh, one of my beloved childhood friends, we went to college together and we were like thickest as thieves, um, yeah. is your uh, former husband, yeah. uh, Dan. And uh, so we met through. Um, I, did, I had an idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dana Lusu, who I, I just loved to have. <laughs> and so we were, um, I, one day I was at my house and I was listening to the news and like another black kid had been shot and I was just like grief stricken. And I was like, you know, and I always say like, um, whether you call it God, spirit, spiritual team, source, I don't care what it is, the creative muse, I all of a sudden heard a voice in my head, like you've got to do something. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking I don't know what that is but I'm gonna do something and then I thought what what have I done in the past like what I was like what do I know how to do how do I take my personal experience and use whatever I have and whether it's a yoga studio a a blog a podcast a platform like what do I know how to do And I'm like I know how to do events and Mm -hmm. I'm like okay and then immediate was like call Dan and I was like Dan, like Dan will know what to do, right? Because yeah. I knew that you and Dan uh, taught race and media at Wheelock. You're both yep. Wicked smarty Pants professors. And yep. I was like, okay. Um, and obviously, both as people of color, you have a way more <laughs> knowledge and point mm-hmm. of view. Uh, and I was like, okay, this is a powerful um, partnership. So I called Dan. And we, we all got together. And we did two mm-hmm. events. We did one in New Hampshire. Uh and then we did one at WeLog. And you led a few of the exercises that we did. Mm-hmm. And I remember just standing back and modeling. And look, I don't consider myself a, a stupid person. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I consider myself pretty pretty aware. Um, and when you and I talked the last time, I remember saying, um, I feel like on a personal level, I have um Always spoken up. Like you're not gonna say racist shit in front of me. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. But I said I feel like I could be doing more in in a bigger way. Mm -hmm. And and I said so. One of the things I wanted to do was to bring you on this show so we could talk a little bit more, especially about like how do I say this? I think as white people we have no idea of the role that media has played. Because I remember when the movie Tarzan came out, like, and Dan and I started talking about it and being able to just sit back and hear his POV, his Mm -hmm. point of view on so many different things. And we talked about this Michael Jordan commercial that was once shot and like all this stuff. And I'm like, like, it was just like, my mind was just going like, you are showing me it is like, the, it's like the Wizard of Oz when they look behind mm-hmm. the curtain and the veil is being lifted. And I remember just mm-hmm. being blown away. Mm-hmm. So can we talk a little bit about, sorry, that was a big lead in, but can yeah. we talk a little bit about um, race and media and why you're so passionate about it and just some of the things that, um, that are like, I think important for people to understand that, that like, because lifting the veil a little bit for people, are you able yeah. to? Okay.
1: I am. Something that I say that is a good way of starting out is that the stories that we tell are the life that we live. We, uh, you know, as you guys know, you're thinking about spirituality. We come to this planet and we're making meaning all the time from the life that we're experiencing, from what's happening in our reality around us, how people are treating us, how we're thinking and feeling about that. All of that is going on. And media is like one of the voices in our head that helps us make sense of, what things are like. Um, So if we think about media, it teaches us early on how to behave. So you read a story about princesses. Girls are supposed to be pretty and nice. Or now we have different kinds of princesses like, you know, Arya Stark who might needle you because (laughs) now we need princesses to be strong and brave. But all of those are stories that help to teach us what it means to be a human being in this world. And so the media is an important way of socializing us and helping us to become the people that we are. It teaches us what we should want, what we should care about, Mm. and it teaches us about different kinds of people that we might not come into contact with. Um, A lot of times people say, well, media messages don't affect me. I like to think for myself. And, you know, I ask people, well, have you ever been to the pyramids? No. Well, what do they look like? Well, they're big big, and they're triangles in in the desert. We are all the time accepting media messages to help inform us about the world that we're in. And that's not just happening for physical structures like the pyramids or for people we might not meet like, you know, let's say, a group of people in Australia, but it also happens for the people that are around us on a day-to-day basis. So we're always getting this information about what people are like, how we should think about them, and what we should feel about them. So if we think about the overrepresentation of people of color in news stories about crime, it oh. encourages people to believe that many people of color are committing crimes when that may not actually be the case. And there are actual studies that show us... Repre- <laughs> I mean, can I show you guys what's happening right now? Yes. Here's my dog eating a bone the size of his head right outside the <laughs> door. So, oh my God, this dog. I, swear I to love God. him. You know, I love him, so I don't yeah. care. He's so smart. He's such a nut, though. He's um, so smart. So he needed like a little bit of dinner so that he could go and chew his bone, which is now making so much noise. So,
0: well, we, I can't hear it that much from my end. So. All right,
1: that's good. Um, so these media messages are all around us all the time, teaching us what we should think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we think about what's going on now, like the, the, uh, what you shared in the beginning around thinking about what can we do around police brutality it was the constant videos every day in the news of these really brutal attacks that got people to realize something was happening. Mm -hmm. If we go back and think about the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, it really started with Trayvon Martin. Yes. And uh, it started with the acquittal of George Zimmerman in 2013. And even though um, uh, George Zimmerman was acquitted, it still was a case that woke people up to something that had been going on for um, over 100 years in this country, Um, the the use of police brutality and police force to control black bodies. Um, After that, as the news started to pick up that story and started to televise the incidents, and more importantly, to show the videos that were being captured on cell phones, um, people really started to say, oh, my God, we have to do something about that. And so, again, another case where we can see how media messages shape what we think is important and what we focus our attention on.
0: Yeah, and sometimes, you know, the media message has a really, um, well, how should I say this? It's powerful all the time, but it's not always powerful in the favor of certain groups of people, right? Right. So it's always exposed to this. I remember when I first moved to California. So I moved to LA in nineteen ninety. 1991 right after I had graduated Mm -hmm. from um from BU and about a year after I graduated from BU and so I moved there just in time for the massive fucking earthquake which Mm -hmm. freaked me out and it was immediately followed by um Rodney King stuff right so Mm -hmm. the race riots Mm -hmm. and all the insanity and then followed by like the OJ trial and like so I, I was just like I just remember seeing those videos of Rodney King and just like sobbing and screaming at the TV, like just being so horrified. Mm-hmm. and i think for a lot of people like i remember when you came up like i i always kind of joke about how as kid, like, i have my lawrence t-shirt on today there's a kid who grew up in lawrence which was so multicultural multi-bilingual race like it was just like uh it's an immigrant city okay so right, right. i like grew up with like a hodgepodge of a bunch of different uh accents and everything and then i moved to boston and it was like, okay. And then I moved to LA and then I moved to New Hampshire. And I remember being like, what the fuck is yeah. happening right now? Like, where are my people in color? I mean,
1: Lawrence is literally miles from New Hampshire. And it's like a totally different world in terms of diversity. Yeah.
0: Totally different <laughs> world. And so when I moved to New Hampshire, I remember being like, I swear to God, I've said this. Why are there so, like, there's so many white people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I remember when you came to the event. And you said, like you said, New Hampshire is like the second whitest yeah. like state in the country, and I was like, that explains so much. But it's really also um, represented. Like you can tell, like when I talk to people, like no, no, no. What's the word? No offense to like my New Hampshire peeps, but like you can tell, I'm like these people have not been exposed to other. Mm -hmm. A lot of other cultures, races, ways of thinking, ways of being. And you can really Mm -hmm. tell like how lack of exposure, personal (laughs) exposure affects it. Because if you're just drinking the Kool-Aid of the media, if you aren't finding things out for yourself, and I think, (laughs) how do I say this? Even if you haven't had, look at,
1: (laughs) give me just one second. I'm going to close
0: the door. And we're back. Yeah. And we're back. And we're back. Yeah. So I just think that like, but also don't you think that even if like, like this isn't about wagging my fingers at people and trying to make people Mm -hmm. feel bad, but I will say this, even if you haven't had personal experience and maybe it's just because of like where you grew up or what your parents taught you or whatever the thing is, at some point you have to have a certain curiosity. I've always said this about yoga students, about writers Uh, one of the greatest characteristics you can have, I think, and I'm going to take it even a step further as a human being is to Mm -hmm. be curious, is Mm -hmm. to be curious about beyond your own experience, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I'm just really clear that I've often jokingly said like, okay, as a course of miracle, a long time course of miracle student, I am usually having a different experience than most of the people in the room just Mm -hmm. because of the way my mind has been trained over many years to think Mm -hmm. about the world in a particular way but you're also having your very own kind of experience just like somebody who might be you know uh transgender is having a really different experience but if we don't have a curiosity about other people's experiences how are we ever going to get to know and understand and give a shit about each other
1: right right i mean i think even that how do we come to define our own experience if we don't really have a sense of what the breadth of humanity actually encompasses? You know, we kind of can hunker down in our own little space and say, oh, you know, this is, you know, this is where I'm at or this is what I really care about. But we don't really open ourselves up to the universe unless we think about the broader human experience that is around us. I mean, just think about your own palate if you only had to eat one food for your whole life, like you would go crazy. We live in a a multicultural country and we're used to eating all sorts of different kinds of foods. Like if you think about picking a meal, you can scroll through a a reservation app and it's organized by culture. So culture is a really important part of Mm. our lives. And I feel like you can't really understand what's going on around you, even your own world, unless you really think about that. Um, I think sometimes people might grow up in a place like New Hampshire where they are not exposed to lots of different kinds of people, Um, yet race and other markers of our identity are some of the ways in which we organize power in our culture. So when people say to me, I don't see race, what I hear them say is, I don't see the way that power is organized in my world. And that puts you at a disadvantage. That means that you may not be aware of some of the things, not only that are happening to other people, but also some of the things that are happening to you. And I think in my experience, when we think about what makes it hard for people to think about race, it's because it's not just about letting in information about what might be going on for others, but also letting information about who we are and what our experience of the world has been and should be. And so that, that feels intimidating. And I mean, it is intimidating. That's a lot. If you think I've always succeeded on my own steam and I've never had any advantages, and then you learn about privilege, that might mess with how you think about yourself and people can be very sensitive to that.
0: Yeah, I think it can be really, like I can, I can only relate it to um, helping people to wake up around veganism and mm. like factory farming mm-hmm. and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if you don't take a look at other people's or other beings experiences um, you, you, you made a really good point. You said you may not know what's happening to them, but you also don't know how it's affecting you. But here's another thing. You also don't know what you might be blindly be participating in, like what the role is that you are playing. If you don't even know a system exists, Right. Right. If you don't understand like systemic and I and I think what it is, if you don't understand that there is a, our whole world is based like when you were talking about mm-hmm. Bank of America, and like we can race like like slavery and like all of a sudden we can we can talk about that, too. But if yeah. you don't understand how this country was founded and if you don't understand how all these systems are in place and that they're fully right. active and that you benefit from them. And because you benefit from them, like you play a role and stuff like that. But I think people are terrified, terrified Mm -hmm. to find out that somehow they're bad or that they're guilty or like, like I hear white people all the time saying things like, well, I never owned slaves. I, I, my, my grandparents didn't, whatever. Like, I'm not, like, I don't want, and you can just feel their defensiveness, like dukes up, man. Like, don't tell me I'm part of the problem. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if you're Mm -hmm. not willing, to take what I call like a good long look in the soul mirror and say, how have I, even if it's been ignorantly been participating, if Mm -hmm. we're in the system, which we are, because we're in the world, we are somehow playing a role and we've got to wake up to it. Otherwise it's like, you know what I mean? I think.
1: we are encouraged to think about race in extremely personal ways like racists are bad people people that are good people are not racist it's this very binary way of thinking and the question isn't are you a racist the question is in what ways do you benefit from the system of race and if you live in america you benefit from the system of race whether you're white whether you're Black, because Americans have a different experience of the world than people in other countries. And that experience in the world was shaped because we created this system of race that allowed us to import a cheap labor force to build this country. Without that happening, none of us would be here. Um, And so when people say, well, I never owned slaves. No, but the country that We are in was just a small handful of colonies uh, when the first slaves arrived uh, 400 years ago in 1619 at Jamestown. And nowadays, we are this huge economic country, and our capitalism was built on these systems that relied on slave labor. Yes. Um, even after the transatlantic slave trade was outlawed in 1815, America continued to use slavery through 1860. America's, American states in the South had not yet built themselves up in a place where they could afford to let go of this free labor force that they mm-hmm. were using to build themselves up. Mm-hmm. And so because of that northern states uh, allowed their slaves to be transported south to remain in slavery. So north, south, whether you're, uh, you know, black or white, as Americans, we all live in a country, and that is the legacy of our country. Each one of us has to find what's our part in it. So, even though slavery ended a really long time ago and Jim Crow ended, well, not right. that long yeah. ago, yeah, and exactly. then civil rights, and then now the movement for black lives, we still are in this process where African Americans, black Americans, do not have the same rights as other people. Dred Scott remains law, which questions the right of black people to become full citizens. The Voting Rights Act has been gutted protecting the ability of Black Americans to vote. So things that are law for other white citizens of this country, that law is not as clear for African Americans, and that's today. So if you're saying, well, I never own slaves, but I do participate in an electorate that does not have equal availability for everybody. And I do participate in an economic system that has uh, issues of economic injustice at the heart of it. Those are systems that we all participate in today. And unless you're going to go live in the woods and eat only nuts and berries, which sounds really awesome, but then you're off the grid and you don't have a phone, right. um, you live in this system. And so our, our work for all of us is where is my position in that system and how do I make sure that I and other people are able to get free?
0: Dude, that, I just, I love listening to you. First of all, you're so smart and oh, I learn, you. I learn so much every time you open your mouth. And one of the things that I found so fascinating is, so as you know, my friend, Marianne Williamson is running yeah. for president. Yeah and she is talking uh, big time. In fact, in fact, I think uh, a few other people, she, and first of all, she's been talking about reparations Uh, for like 30 years. I mean, she wrote the book, The Healing of America, like a gazillion years ago. So she's been talking about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And she was on, she was on CNN last night and she said, and she's, I've heard her say it so many times, but she says, and I, I would love to know your thoughts on this. She said, I don't believe that the average American is actually racist. What I do believe is that they are grossly or I'm trying to think of the words, the exact words to use. So I'm paraphrasing, but they are um, really um, super duper, if I can put it in a word, uneducated about race and racism in this country.
1: So Mm -hmm, what do you mm -hmm. think?
0: What do you think about that? Do you think that the average and And I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot, but I, I, whenever she says it, I think (laughs) I wonder what people like, like, you know what I mean? I just think like, I don't know, like, I think there are a lot of racist people in America, but she's saying, I think on average, but we are grossly undereducated about the reality of Mm. what's gone on here. Do you have any thoughts about that?
1: I do. Yeah. (laughs)
0: I knew I'm you would. I want to say won.
1: this. I don't know how this is going to. I mean, I think racist has become such a dirty word. Like, oh my God, you're a racist. You're a bad person. Right. A racist is somebody who has accepted a system where hierarchies are created based on the um, social construction of race. So race doesn't exist in nature. You know, a squirrel doesn't look at me and go, oh, look, it's a black person. Um, so there, race is not a naturally occurring hierarchy, despite exactly. a lot of what was said in the 20th century around phrenology measuring people's heads or, you know, looking at skulls and things like that there is no biological difference between races. We learn that when we map the human genome at the end of the last century. There is no biological difference between races, but there are major social inequities between races, and those are socially constructed hierarchies. So. When we think about race, race is a social hierarchy based on the social construction, believing that people are these different kinds of races, right? So that, if that's what race is, and racism is a system of power that is predicated on that social construction of race, and a racist is somebody who reproduces that system of power. So now if you are a person who reproduces the system of power based on this hierarchy of race, therefore you would be a racist. All right. So maybe we could use this as like a thumbnail kind of definition of racism. So who reproduces hierarchies of power? who all of us every day are in this matrix like we just talked about yes some of us have a little bit of more power than others Um, some of us have differing intersections Um, the work of Kimberly Crenshaw that your racial identity and your gender identity might intersect to create overlapping Mm. oppressions so we every day are making decisions about whether or not to reproduce the existing hierarchy or to challenge it and to really see people as full human beings when we walk down the aisle on the train and decide, oh, I don't want to sit next to that person because they look like they may be of a different race. <sighs> or when we see a news story on the news about a person that got shot and been like, I'm glad that happens in that neighborhood because that's not my neighborhood. Well wow. In all of those yeah. tiny ways, we are reproducing that hierarchy every day. And so in that way, and this is very controversial. No, no,
0: I love, I love, like, no, I'm in know. it. I'm in it. Like, do it.
1: But here's the thing, if all of us in different ways are are likely to reproduce that system on a regular basis, then all of us have the power to take the power that we have in our own life to address that every day to make sure that if we have the power to hire that we're make sure that we are using diversity and inclusion ideas in our hiring if we have uh, some power in the in the parents council to make sure that we have a parents council that respects all voices and takes into account who everybody is and to really listen to people of color as they talk about what those experiences are we all have the power to do that and I think one of the biggest powers that white people have in this culture is uh, this power around voice and silence. Racism is very silencing. We have people who for hundreds of years have been talking about oppression and still our narrative is, well, does racism exist? Like it does. You have the power today to say this exists and this is my job to do something about it.
0: Hey, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, It does. Like this is in case you weren't aware. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think that... um, like so much of what you're saying, I'm like I wish I, I'm like I can't wait to give this to my people to edit. I'm like I can't wait to hear what sound bite that they're no, gonna I don't, I
1: don't know what they're gonna take out of I'm that. Like, like, there's like so, racist, No,
0: no, no, no. I I but I do think that like people have to wake the fuck up. Like it's one of these things where we're so terrified of being like. We're more concerned with being called a name than actually taking a look if we, uh, if that's true about us. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Like you've got- think people think about, I
1: heard someone recently say that being called the racist is the same as the use of the N-word. And I just want to say first, that is absolutely incorrect. <laughs> that the N-word is a weaponized piece of vocabulary that was used actively as a tool of oppression. Saying somebody's racist is a favor. Let me help you to see that you may not be aware of the way that you are reproducing unequal power dynamics in your world. Let me help you to see that you can unblock yourself uh, and be more connected to your humanity by being aware of the ways in which you are using your personal power to reproduce systems of inequality. When I say to people like when you're called a racist, The thing that you might think about doing is saying, Thank you. I'm going to look into that. Let me try to do better.
0: Well, how about, right? How about Mm -hmm. instead of seeing it as an accusation, you see it as an invitation? Yeah, Yeah. right.
1: If you had spinach in your teeth, you would want somebody to tell tell you, you. Hey, you're out there looking kind of crazy. You you you
0: got a little something. Yeah. If
1: if your behavior is not in in integrity with your spiritual ideas, your friends on your spiritual journey are going to say, Hey, you're out of integrity. Let's let's get you lined back up. If your ideas around power and race are not in integrity with who you are as a human being, you should want someone to tell you that. You should welcome that information. And then you have to say, well, what's my pathway to getting better at this? So I- that I make sure I'm doing what I really want to do.
0: I a hundred percent agree. And I think that looking at the ways where we actually have personal power, like I love when you said that, talking about voice and silence and like when are you gonna speak up? Like when, like, and I, I think I shared with you that that story um when I lived in California with the guy who put the gun to my head. <laughs> yeah. That little one, that little story. Yeah, I remember um, that story. Yeah, because I was just like, Yeah, you're not gonna say that in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I've always just kind of felt like I don't know if I've seen myself as like I like again I go back to because I always try to just think about like okay so what's like my role in things because I don't get off the hook either Mm -hmm. it's like just because I'm I'm willing to have a conversation but I guess that's Mm -hmm. one of the things I'll say about myself is that I'm really willing to have uncomfortable conversations because I don't want to go to my grave like part of my spiritual work here is to really lift the veil and mm-hmm. i'm always looking for the ways and you and i talked about this and i thought it was so fascinating i'm always looking for the ways that we are all the same right mm-hmm. and i say it whether you say as children of mm-hmm. god or extensions of the divine like that's what really interests me mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we can't just look at that like when we were talking about this last mm-hmm. week <laughs> because we also have to talk about like yes beaut- that's a beautiful <clears throat> concept and like yes And, Mm -hmm. and people are still having a different experience than me on this planet. And what Mm -hmm. can I do? Like, what's my personal, um, responsibility or how am I going to make an active difference? And I always say, um, you know it all starts with us first. Like we have to take a fearless look. It's one of the things I love. Like I'm not, I'm not in a 12 step program, but mm-hmm. there are, um, I know a lot of people who are and I went to Al-Anon um, because I was trying to understand more. Um, cause that's a system too that you participate in when you have addicts in your life. Right. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so what's my role here? How am I helpful? How am I enabling? Like, what's the whole deal? Taking a look at it. And at some point in a 12-step program, they say, you have to take a fearless moral inventory. Mm -hmm. And I've Mm -hmm. always loved that. Like looking at things like, and it's everything from like, where do you spend your money? What jokes do you laugh at? How do you speak up? Where do you vote? How do you vote? What do you say? Do you write the letters? Like, how are you showing up? And I think for some reason, people are so afraid to find out some uncomfy truths, yeah,
1: well, I mean, they are uncomfortable truths, you know, I think, as we begin to think about what's happened in the last couple of years as as people become more and more you know quote unquote woke um <laughs> it's it's it is actually uncomfortable because the truth underneath it is not a great. Truth, you know. I mean, this country is built on genocide and oppression. That is not a great truth. Um, I mean, we're still here. Uh, we still have the opportunity to, you know. I think chase our better angels and try to be mm. the thing that we said we were going to be. Just like each of us, you know, we show up on this planet and we spend, you know, the first couple of years like pooping and screaming. But then we can grow. We can become better, yes. you know. <laughs> yes. And and our country is a little bit the same, you know. It is not. It is not a country. Comfortable truth. When we look at our world, we have major inequity in our world. There is something deeply disturbing about that. Yes. But to look at that is to look at the thing that is within humanity that we all are here to kind of think about Um, whether you think about you know in the jewish tradition tika olam or dhamma like all of these spiritual traditions ask us to think about what is our role in creating harmony in the world and repairing the world you can't do that if you don't know what's happening in the world um and i think for a lot of us here in america when we look at race for some people they don't want to believe that their comfort has contributed to somebody else's oppression. And yet that is the truth of where we are. And that is the truth of where we will continue to be until we heal this. Um, And that is an uncomfortable truth. Uh, I had a student one time that said that, you know, all of this knowledge is really bumming me out, you know, (laughs) you know, and I think in a lot of ways, that's what prevents people to look deeply into this and to see what lies underneath our systems of power it's it's not great you know and if we look at the last couple of years in our country it feels very chaotic it feels yes. uh, very uncomfortable because we're seeing these inequities they're not going to go away though um and and as i said to someone last week you know we have to get it right around being clearer about justice in our country mm-hmm. because we have other larger challenges coming down the pike, um, that our country is part of a world that is increasingly connected, um, not only globally in terms of our economy and our culture, but also in terms of climate change. We literally have to fix our house because the storm is coming. And if we don't do the things that we need to do to try to create equity, um, those uh, inequities are likely to get worse as uh, as climate change comes down the pike and we see mass migration around the globe and other challenges of resource. And so I can see your face that's like, ooh, that's really scary. It's like, that's what's on the other side. If we don't get these inequities in line, they will be um, worsened by what we see coming down the pike. That was really dark.
0: <laughs> no, was, but I think I where we were going. But that was really dark. No, but I think that's what it is, though. I think that I've often said before, and again, I, I often relate it to a movement that I'm a part of, which is, you know, um, animal advocacy and all this other stuff. And I, I've, I've said to people, look, if I let myself just focus on, um, the suffering of animals across the world. If, if you can become so overwhelmed, like that student who said, "All this, ed- all this knowledge is bumming me out," right? Mm-hmm. So if you just focus on like the 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 heaviness and the bad and the negativity and da 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 da, you can become like literally paralyzed mm-hmm. by grief and overwhelm and, like you said, the chaos of it. And I'm always like, you know, so we, but we have to start somewhere. You can't deny its existence. You don't put on the blind is cause that doesn't mm-hmm. help. It that doesn't help anybody. Mm-hmm.
1: So you've got you to, you have to grieve the world and then get to work.
0: Exactly. It's like we, you know, uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes has a beautiful, a beautiful poem. It's actually a a thing that says we were made for these times. Yeah. And I I believe that you're
1: here on this planet because you're supposed to be here right now. I mean, this is the, this is the, the, the the time that we all need to be in the fight. If we look at millennials, these were people that were made for this battle. I believe exactly. that that so powerfully that the spirit of this generation is so powerful. And those of us that are, are preceded that generation, I mean, we're still here too. So we all have to get in the fight. We all have and our so, assignment. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. And so when people are like, "Oh, it's too hard to look at it." then you are perpetuating it. If you refuse to look at it because you want to be comfortable and sip your lattes and stuff, then, <laughs> then you're, you're a part of it. And I think that the animal rights is... Um, we all have to kind of navigate that like you, you hate to watch the videos But you love to eat the hamburger and so that is the complexity of modern times You have to figure out a way that you can kind of bring yourself into harmony and alignment And I think that that can be really difficult. It can be really difficult
0: And I think though it's like but if you can learn how to do it there and figure out what your role is You can do it in anything. We can all learn. We can all be taught and I said what well, we move from we, we have to move from the paralyzation and the fear and the guilt and the shame and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is you just start somewhere, mm-hmm. pick up a book, read a book about somebody yeah. else's experience, educate yeah. yourself, like make yeah. a conscious choice to be uncomfortable for a little right. while. You know what I mean? And then of course in miracles, we talk about it, like, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, we, 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 we like, um, we spend too much time looking at the crucifixion, but we don't look at the resurrection. And that's what mm-hmm. interests me. Now, I'm not saying don't look at the path because that's how we're going to learn. I'm saying we got to mm-hmm. look there. And then like you said, we got to go to, the, we got to get to work. Yeah. And yeah. like you said, if you're still on the planet, like you have a role to play. Right. You can have an influence. You right. could make cho- so you know, And especially if you're a parent. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you are raising little ones up underneath you, like that's really Mm -hmm. important that you start Mm -hmm. to um, expose them to what's really going on.
1: Right. Yeah. And you just have to start with yourself. You know, Um, if you don't know anything about race or you feel uncomfortable talking to someone about it just Google it. You can do it from the privacy of your home. You can open Mm -hmm. a private tab. No one will know you even did it and start to read about stuff. I, I am always struck by this in conversations about race. There seems to be such a deep desire for comfort, which is odd to me because when we look at race, there's not a lot of comfort on the side of the oppressed.
0: Exactly. That's my whole point. And there's like,
1: no real concern for how comfortable oppressed people are as people walk on top of their back to live their life. And so I feel like I don't know why we feel like we always have to be comfortable. We live in a place where, I mean, think about some of the things that we do uh, for pleasure in this country, whether it's yoga or jumping out of a plane or hiking a mountain, they all encourage us to uh, experience some discomfort to get to the top. Why do you all have to be comfortable all the time? You know, I mean, we all live lives where we are uncomfortable on a daily basis. Yes. And yet when race comes up, all of a sudden, Nobody can be uncomfortable. And it's like, you're going to be uncomfortable because something's happening and you need to be made aware of it. You know, yes. and that's what yes. it is.
0: Uh, well, people in general, um, you know, it's interesting. We don't have, we're willing to put ourselves in certain situations that are uncomfy, like feel the burn at the gym, or I'm willing to, to like, you know, get wax, get my bikini area wax because there's a payout, right? I'm willing to do certain right. things that are uncomfortable. But those are, like, choices that they're participating in. I think for a lot of white people, they feel um, – they don't want to be made to feel shameful and guilty. There's this whole thing, this fear, I think, around being, being guilty. And it's like, what about, like – it's exactly what you said. Like, I'm always thinking when people are like, oh, I don't want to know about this or I don't want to – I'm like, how do you think the people who are in the situation or the animals – are in the, how do you think those people feel? Like, how do you think those beings feel? Like we have to, mm-hmm. like, as is uh, Tom Bilyeu said, you got to toughen up a little bit, buttercup. Fucking toughen right. up, buttercup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 let's, let's like take a look in the mirror. Let's like take a look at these things because it's the only way it's going to change. And I just right. feel like, man, I don't want to go in the grave feeling like I didn't do my part. Right. right? right. And, and,
1: yeah. and okay. I feel like when people are feeling like guilty and shameful, um, it might feel uncomfortable. It's like, stop doing it. Stop doing it. If you don't want to be called a racist, stop acting like a racist, you know, and the only way you're going to get there is by coming to understand the system of race and power and privilege and your place within it and doing the best you can to minimize the harm that you do to other people. I mean none of us really are here under our own steam. If we think about the lives that we live, like for any of your listeners, like we're all listening to this on devices. Like somebody had to go dig up the parts to this and their life probably isn't as as wonderful and great as mine. And so to retain my privilege to do what I do, um, I have to make a trade-off that might affect a lot of other people and that may be an uncomfortable truth but that's the truth and if you say I don't want to do this because it makes me feel bad it's like guess what, that feeling is telling you that you are out of integrity with you. A
0: hundred percent. I mm-hmm. always say like, if you're not in alignment, right? Yeah. You can only get away with that shit for so yeah. long. Right. Inevitably, you will suffer. And I right. think we're already suffering as individuals and as a country because right. of our um, lack of willingness or unwillingness to actually take, right. um, uh, uh, like you said, to, to, to just, I'm like, look, just get in the room. Mm -hmm. And it's also Mm -hmm. up to white people to have conversations amongst themselves. Absolutely. Right. Like, so so you said earlier, okay. uh, If you want to know more about race, like just go Google it. Right. Mm -hmm. Have you personally written any um, powerful pieces or anything where I can direct people to, or do you have any particular resources that you're really on fire about or you love, Mm -hmm. or you want, Mm want to do a shout out about? I mean, I
1: think right now there are so many good books about race and mm-hmm. racism that are out there. Um, I, there's a historian that I really like, Ibrahim Kendi, and he's coming out with a new book called How to Be Anti-Racist. Um, and he does amazing work that really looks at the history of race and racism and also looks in a in a really interesting way at the dynamic of it. Yeah. Um, uh, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, I yeah. highly recommend. <laughs> um, that's a great book. Yes. And, um, Uh, and my blog, Semantics, um, so I'm sure that'll be on your website. But if you Google books about racism, there are so many of them. There have literally been dozens and dozens that have come out in the last couple of years by all sorts of amazing writers. And so... uh, I can give you a list if you want so that people can find it on your website. But really, if you just Google it, you're going to find 10, 20, 30, 40 different books.
0: Oh yeah. No, the- no, no. This was, for for- sure. I was just trying to give you a little shout out. i give you. Oh, yeah. now, people
1: to you. <laughs> I, think, I think one thing that I, I write about pop culture and race, yes. it, it seems to be a really easy way for people to begin to think about race because Absolutely. we're all watching TV or we're, you know, watching the news and we're seeing these stories and rather than people feeling badly, like, I feel attacked that I'm a racist. <laughs> oh, look at Gucci. Gucci's a racist. so we can all kind of, like, talk about that without <laughs> feeling too bad. Um, and so on my blog, I write a lot about race and also other issues of identity. Um, like, I just wrote about um, feminist heroes on Game of Thrones. Yeah, it was just uh, like, yeah. I was like, yes! Like yeah, I. Just, yeah, yeah. We are all on that uh, this week. So um, so go read my blog, and you'll get a, a lens into that. And also here and talk about uh other places where people are thinking about
0: race yeah so let's take it off the personal level for a second and tell me a little bit about the professional work that you're doing and how you're helping businesses to start to show up a little bit better in the world like what are some of the things like like some of the i know you you're a consultant and you go in and you've helped people so what Mm -hmm. are like the projects or the, the things that you're really excited about
1: uh, a couple of things that I'm excited about. One is going in with uh, people to do some uh, training, like some in-person training. Yeah. One thing things that I really like to do is give people kind of like an organizational gut check. I think for a lot of organizations... I love
0: that. I yeah. love that. An organizational for, gut yeah. check. Yeah.
1: For a lot of organizations we can kind of see that the winds in the country are changing, that thinking about inclusion is more important. Um, Not just diversity, having different people that might be, you know, uh, clients or different people that are working at an organization, but inclusion, making sure that people have a seat at the table, that they have voice, that we see diversity in the decision-making trees of organizations. Mm. And so they want to think about, well, how do I begin to even do this work? Um, So I'll go in and do like an organizational gut check where we'll think a little bit about what's happening now and kind of talk about what this moment is. Um, For some people, they feel like, oh, I'm worried. I don't really know about that, or I'm not really sure the right words to say, or I'm worried I'm going to say something wrong. And I say to people, things are changing really rapidly. So unless you've been in um, a program that has been studying race in the last year, you probably need to get updated on what's happening in science, what's happening in culture, what's happening in higher ed and in areas of study, what's happening in our politics, and also most importantly, What's happening in our demographics that are creating this cultural shift that we're experiencing?
0: Yeah, because we're going to be a minority, I mean, pretty soon. Aren't we going to
1: hit that tipping point? We're going to be a majority minority population by 2040 at the latest. We used to say 2050, then we said 2040, and that timeline is drifting back. And if we look at people that are under 18 in this country, under 18 is already majority minority. Dude. get yeah, people that are under 18 they are already a majority minority population um so younger generations already have hit that benchmark um yeah so we're already there in exactly. a lot exactly and that's why we see millennials really having different voice around issues of diversity and inclusion than older generations because they really are a different generation in a lot of
0: ways yeah and thank god
1: yeah yeah. Yeah. No, you know they, it's, it's
0: exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Everybody complains about
1: millennials, but they are already kind of tooled to live in a different world. And yes. we're not just, we're just not there yet. So uh, I think that we complain a lot about millennials, you know, adapting to the way the world used to be. And I think what we need to do is just understand the world is going to adapt to the way that millennials are.
0: Well, as a professor, you've had a lot of exposure to these. Uh, smart, of millennials, Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're a little more hip than the average bear, Susan.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think people complain a lot because they have all these ideas about who millennials are, or that they're whiny or that they're entitled, but millennials are dealing with a very difficult world. Yes. And, yes, and always have been, they're awake to this world. So all this that we just talked about, about people needing to wake up for a lot of millennials, they're already there in that place. And so um, they're already doing some of the heavy lifting yes. that a lot of adults are kind of hesitant to do. Um, and they have a lot of challenges ahead of them. They're the ones that are going to inherit um, this kind of storm that's coming. So um, I think that we need to do the most we can to be good mentors. To yes. the millennials And really allow them to teach us new ways of thinking and doing things that we may not be used to.
0: Yeah. And I think it can be really hard. Like I talk to my mentoring clients, my spiritual mentoring clients about this a lot. Um, You know, if we show up with an attitude and and I think the attitude comes from um, just our age sometimes, like we think, well, we're older than them. Mm -hmm. So anytime we're starting a sentence or a response with, I know, I know, I know. And I'm like, as soon as you say, I know you become, I always say you're unlearnable. That's what I always Mm -hmm. say. You are unlearnable. You're Mm unteachable. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the 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 same thing that keeps coming through again and again and again and again and again with what we're talking about is we've made you make a decision about who and what you think somebody is mm-hmm. and what their experience is. Mm-hmm. Right And it's like, well, so we've now labeled the millennials, fill in the blank, lazy,, uh, snowflake, like fit like whatever right, the right. thing is. And it's like, well, when's the last time you actually just sat down and had a conversation? like
1: had conversation with a lot of them because yeah, they're exactly. different too, you know. Um but that's the thing, and I think it goes for race and it goes for age. We use these social constructs to help us navigate the world because it makes it really easy otherwise we have to meet each individual on their own individual kind of steam and that is extremely difficult um so i always tell this story like i was driving down the highway one day it was winter it was snowing and i see this guy running down the side of the road and he's naked and he's got a trash bag on and he's stuck his head through the trash bag and he's running he's got no shoes on and he's running down the side of the highway Now, clearly something is going on with this dude because he's naked and it's snowing. Did I stop to pick him up? You know, whenever I ask people, like, no, you didn't stop to pick him up because there's something going on with this dude. He might be dangerous, all right? So we use information about groups of people to make decisions all the time. People who are dressed inappropriately for weather, like a naked person in a snowstorm, sure. um, it, all right, there might be something kind of off with that person. Yes. So we use information about groups of people to make decisions. I'm only going to worry about my tribe and people that are like me, and that's going to make it really easy. So old people, I'm going to grumble about millennials, because I, I don't really understand them. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to kind of section all those people off. And that means that we live in this very truncated, small world where we are not dealing with people as they are, as they show up in the world. Instead, we're just using these snap decisions to kind of navigate around them rather than to move through them as they are as real human beings. And that takes more energy.
0: A hundred percent. And A Course in Miracles talks about this so so beautifully. Uh, And it goes back to what you were saying, which is, you know, we give everything the meaning that it has. Mm-hmm. And so anytime time it's like, it's like for perfect example, I'll say to somebody, somebody will come into the room and I'll say, this is how bad I'll say. So look at that chair. And they'll say, yeah. And I say, is that a comfortable chair? And they'll say, I think it is. And I'll say, well, why do you think that? Have you ever sat in that chair? Like mm-hmm. you have no experience of this chair. Well, no, but it's got a cushion mm-hmm. and like, oh. And so everything mm-hmm. that we're experiencing is actually coming from our past Mm-hmm. So we're almost never, ever, ever meeting each other in the present moment. Right. We're right. showing up already with meaning we have given history. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that is our fears too. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. like we're just showing up. So we're not clean slating people. We are not yeah. allowing, and we do it all the time in our relationships in our marriages and our friendships and our coworker experiences, whatever. We've already made a decision about you mm-hmm. before we've actually had an interaction that day. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so showing up though, in meeting people as they are, who they are in that present moment requires some spiritual muscle. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a little mojo and we get it by doing spiritual practices. Like there's a reason why, like if you can slow down your mind, Mm -hmm. if you can get quiet, do some meditation or whatever your thing is, when you're able to like, and it's like, okay, now I'm in this moment with this person. And who are they without all of my preconceived thoughts and notions and ideas? Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating because it's like, even just in my own life, when I I think back and I go like, when I look about, like when people, like when you talk about that fear of like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're walking down the subway, you see maybe somebody who looks different or is of color or whatever, and you decide to like go over here. And, you know, people have, and I've grown up, I've, I've, I know racist, I know, like hardcore, like, you know, I'm talking like blatantly, like, for, uh, I'm not saying I hang out with them, I'm friends with them, but I know mm-hmm. of them. <laughs> We've got yeah. one in the White House. We definitely yeah. know. Yeah, them. we
1: all know them. They yeah. live right everywhere. They're right.
0: And, and You know, and they'll say things and I'll always say like, what, well, what do you mean when you say like those people? Mm-hmm. Like I don't like, I try to catch as much as I can or whatever. And I'm hyper aware. I always say I have mm-hmm. to be vigilant first and foremost for the quality of my own thoughts, words and actions before mm-hmm. I start like calling other people out. But mm-hmm. when I look back at my own life, you know, the guy that murdered my mother, he was like, um, a successful white dude. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of the people who have done harm to me have been white men. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. like, I'm not walking around with these experiences of like, whatever. Right. So
1: but I, that's really important because it, cause you know, here's the thing most people who are harmed are harmed by people who with whom they have an intimate relationship, whether we're thinking about, you know, just having your heart broken, or the level of domestic violence, or even the level of relational violence that exists in our country. Mm -hmm. At all levels, most violence that people experience is perpetrated by someone that they know, and someone that they know intimately. Um, Outside of that ring, Violence is generally perpetrated between people of the same background or the same race or, you know, so the likelihood that you are going to be hurt by someone you know is far greater than the likelihood that you're going to be hurt by somebody that's outside that <laughs> Amen, circle. Hallelujah, but, yes. but to live your life in constant fear of all of the people with whom you have intimate relations is just untenable. People just can't exist that way. So we train ourselves to be afraid of people who are outside of our circle to allow us to feel like we can be comfortable. There is that comfort again. So the comfort that you embrace that you think is keeping you safe is the comfort that keeps you from being able to see things as they are and therefore actually be safe. I think an important thing about fighting racism for white people is that racism hurts people of color. People of color are uh, definitely the the primary victims of racism, Mm -hmm. and racism also harms white people. White people are harmed by systems of oppression. Those systems of oppression not only hurt people of color, but they hurt the ability of white and black people to fight together for, say, class equity. Um, And so white people are harmed by racism. They are kept from their full humanity by there being systems of oppression that are in place. And understanding that gives white people something to think about for racism that is really centered on whiteness. Um, and so by that, I mean, you don't want to just get rid of racism because it's good for me. You want to get rid of racism because it's good for a just society. That's good for everybody. It's not just for me. It's for you. It's for everybody.
0: It's so, yes. When we, when you said this, when we talked the other day, you said, I was like, oh my God, I hope I'm smart enough to remember to to ask the question or whatever. And I just love spiritual team on the job. I just love that it circled back because here's the thing though. Here's what I find so interesting is that. Um, trying to think of the right way to say it, um, that I'm clear in my meaning that I have friends who have skill sets, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and we can just talk, I'll just say from like uh, business and branding and marketing or whatever. Right. So I have friends who are like, uh, when you're thinking about strategy, um, they'll like, oh, well, you're trying to do this. Why don't you just do this, 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 and this. And I'm like, dude, It never would have even occurred to me to like do that. Do you know what I mean? Like you just have, and I'm talking about like certain people have certain, whether it's skill sets or, um, they came through with divine gifts or whatever it is. It's just like, sometimes my brain goes, I wouldn't ever have thought that that was an option. Like, I love that. When I listen to you talk, I can just imagine that there must be so many people, like, especially white people who go, Oh my God. I never even, it never would have even occurred to me to think that racism also oppresses me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think
1: that we're, we're not encouraged to think about racism in that way. We're encouraged to think about race as a personal minefield instead of as a system of oppression. I mean, I was at Inauguration Day for, uh, for Donald Trump. For his inauguration. Mm -hmm. And I was struck by um, while we were waiting for the parade to come down Pennsylvania Avenue, um, there were two sides of the road. One was all uh, anti Trump protesters, and the other was Trump supporters. And uh, uh, we crossed the street at the wrong time, and we were stuck on the side with all the Trump supporters. And the hottest spot on that side of the road was food trucks. And they were, uh, it was uh, Thai food, uh, Mexican food. Uh, like, oh, I was like, I was like, oh my God. Like, you, like there's such a disconnect between people literally standing in stands, shouting, build yeah. the wall and standing in line at a consumption, taco truck.
0: Construction yeah. of the, like, but this is what I'm talking about. I think that there is a level of, off the cuff, like whether it's blindness, uh, st- uh, <laughs> stupidities that mean to say, but ignorance, like just like people are so not self-aware. They, mm. They're they not even self-aware of themselves. Like they're mm. not even looking, they're not even looking out. And And I say it to people all the time. I see it a lot on social media. I see it a lot with parents actually. And all of a sudden it's like, you're not gonna like something will happen at school, right? And the teacher does something, or the school system does something. It's like, uh uh-uh, uh, not my kid. You're not gonna mm-hmm. do that to my kid. And mm-hmm. people get their panties in a bunch when it affects them personally. Yeah. But they're not really looking outside the bubble. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like, and, and this is my whole thing like, you know, uh, in A Course in Miracles, I'm like everybody, animals, like rocks, the environment, all my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And if we're all one, like all the great religious and spiritual traditions tell us that we are all one, that there's no way that something that's happening to you cannot be happening and affecting Mm -hmm. me. Now, Mm -hmm. it might not obviously be to the same extent or or depth Mm -hmm. or whatever, but if there is that connective thread that runs through all of us, what's happening over here, it it makes Mm -hmm. its way.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm mm-hmm. You can't look at our country right now and not recognize that race is having a serious impact on what's happening in this country. Not only in terms of the oppression of people of color, mm-hmm. which is major, and as you as as you said, like that affects your countrymen, that affects the people in your country. You should care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is also negatively affecting white people. Um, so it's affecting everybody it's happening. It's been happening for hundreds of years. At what point are we going to say, we have to think about the way the power is structured? Because if we don't create more equitable power sharing in our country, we are going to literally kind of rip ourselves apart. So race does affect everybody because it is the hierarchy that this country was created on. Um, And just like any foundation, you can move the house if you want, but you've got to pick it up off the foundation first and and we're not there yet as a country um I think it's important for people to understand that uh, race has a material effect on the ability of people to um, live in a neighborhood, get an education, get a job, and to stay safe. At all of those levels, people of color are negatively harmed by systems of race. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, in this country, we have a serious issue with terrorism and white nationalism, So both in terms of the oppression of people of color and the refusal to acknowledge the ways in which white nationalism is doing harm, we have our candle burning at both ends in this country. So whichever end you care about, you can get in the game and be a part of this.
0: But how can you like, (laughs) this might be a moot question, I just don't know how you can be alive on the planet right now and not see the white national, like, how can you be in denial that this shit is going on? Like, I find it, Mm -hmm. um, horrifying and fascinating that I'm like, um, hello, Mm -hmm. um, hello. Mm
1: -hmm. People choose to believe an ahistorical narrative of what is happening. And so I think that's the thing is like, you know, we're still in this place like, oh, these people didn't know about racism. They're so ignorant. It's like, no, no, no. Maybe, maybe a hundred years ago or 200 years ago or 300 years ago. Like we have the internet now. Stop. You know about race. <laughs> you do. And if you refuse to believe it exists, that is the kind of behavior that makes somebody a racist. You are reproducing that system because you're refusing to believe it exists. It exists. There is an enormous amount of documented evidence. People do live in different narrative bubbles. So I will say that you can, you know, depending on what news channel you listen to or where you get your information, you can be consuming a diet of information that chooses to reproduce this ahistoric narrative. That's on you because you can you know, click onto a different website, you can look around, but you have to be willing to understand that you have to evaluate information as it comes in. You can't just like drink the Kool-Aid from either side. You have to really think and evaluate information. If you're choosing not to evaluate information, that's how you get. To
0: but that's basics. that's a hundred percent. Well, the keywords there, keywords there were um, uh, willingness, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm always talking about, and mm-hmm. choosing, which I'm yeah. always talking about. At this right. point, if you're not seeing it, it's because you are consciously choosing right. not to see it. Because some part of you, maybe secretly or not so secretly, doesn't really want right. shit to change yeah. because there is some sort of fear. I remember watching an interview with. Um, I don't know who I'm trying to think. Oh, Charles Barkley went and Mm. talked to um, this white supremacist guy, Mm -hmm. and I remember that. Remember that? that? Yeah. And I was sitting there like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" Like, I am like, "That it's that level of like, I'm just like, you that just dude just he is a danger Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. himself and to the world. Like that is like somebody that I am like, you just lock him up. Like that Mm -hmm. is it is." frightening to me because you just sit there and I'm, I I just think that is the most ignorant Mm. and hateful. Like, I don't even like, I sometimes not much surprises me, not much surprises me anymore (laughs) in the world, but every once in a while I'll see something like that. (laughs) And I find myself with like, like my mouth hanging Mm. open, like, and just going like, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that I don't like to say that I don't like to say that I don't think that that's a person who can be changed because I've also seen miraculous stories mm-hmm. of people who have befriended people who were like KKK members mm-hmm. who have had a change of hat. So I know yeah. what's possible when people are willing, but I can't imagine wanting to walk around seeing brothers and sisters as so Like, I I don't know. I just think like, Mm. like what Uh, makes
1: me think of that. There's a line in the movie, uh, Mississippi Burning, Mm
0: -hmm. where
1: uh, a racist father says to a little boy, well, if you're not better than an N word, what are you better than? And I think it comes down to like, people use hierarchies, not only to decide how to treat others, but also to create a sense of self of who you are better than.
0: That is so Um, powerful. And
1: and I think that we shouldn't be so naive to think that that doesn't work for people. That works for a lot of people and they live their whole life like that and it's awesome. And they choose not to do the work of creating change because it's working for them. I think there is this belief that there are, that anybody that's acting in a way that we might think of as racist either is this horrible KKK member or they're ignorant. But to not choose in 2019 is, is, isn't is to be ignorant. It, it's, it's a choice. It you is know? a choice. 100%. And that we can look at the people that, you know, are marching around in robes and say, those are the bad people. But again, it's every single one of us has a place in this hierarchy. Yes. And if we're not actively working against racism, we are doing the work of racism. You know, and that's what I like about Ibrahim Kendi's work is this idea that it's not just about bad racists and people that aren't racist there is this group in the middle who by their silence or they're not wanting to do it they perpetuate the work of racism because they allow the system to remain unchallenged so you know and I think people get uncomfortable like oh well I just don't know well it's 2019. For, for, if if you can on. hear me now, you now know, and you can no longer use that excuse. Hear, so, yeah. This is
0: part of why I want you on the show. It's like, yeah. if you can hear the sound of my voice. Right. You are now either
1: yes. working to stop the perpetuation of racism or you're not, you know? Exactly. And and as I Powerful. say to people all this all the time, people are wary, like, well, there's this side and that side. There are two sides, people who are, believe in justice for every human being and people that don't. And that's it. And you can at any point in time choose to be a part of the group. That's right. And that there are people that really are on the other side. There are people that would like to have more power than other people. And that's real.
0: Yes. I think, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. said, I know I'm going to flub it out, but when he talks about um, your silence is basically a choice, like you are choosing the side of the oppressors. And I think a lot of people have made themselves a nice little safe little area where they stand, like Switzerland, where they stand and they say, well, I'm not really going to say either. Like, I'm not going to, I'm just going to like, but, and I'm like, no, to not Mm -hmm. to choose is to choose. Yeah, it's
1: exactly. But it's like Switzerland, you're not taking sides yet your banks are taking all of the loot from all of these, you know, horrible things that are <laughs> happening. So if you're like Switzerland, you are the repository of all this stuff that is happening. You are a part of the system. Um, and we don't live outside of systems unless, like I said, you're off in the woods and then you can't hear me because you can't listen to a podcast.
0: That's right. Well, but you know, you, what you, one of the things that you do so beautifully is you are, you are a light worker in your own way. You shine, you shine a bright light, uh, a bright light in places of darkness, and you shine. So in, in, in the yoga world, um, you know, we talk, and I'll let the Sanskrit scholars argue over the tr- like the exact interpretation of what guru means. But what the word guru means is the one who brings light to the darkness, mm-hmm. one who brings wisdom to ignorance, and you really do do that. I mean, oh, I hope you, you I, I, you don't look it. you don't need me to tell you these things, you know, your own awesomeness. However, mm. as my friend, I will just say, I am so proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. I love that you're alive at this time and that I get both to, of us. Yeah. Yeah. That I get to bear witness to um, your gifts uh, being just like brought to the table. I just mm. think, you know, you, you know, and I was thinking at the beginning how I think of you like badass leader, uh, you know, gorgeous. First of all, other thing, this is so I'm just gonna digress for a second. Um, you could totally have a whole uh, I don't know, you could make some money doing voice work. You have the be- you know this, right? Thank People you. tell you like you have the best voice. I just yeah. feel like I sound like
1: a little elf to me. But
0: what are you I'm talking so about? You I sound like a little word. hold the door, hold the door. <laughs> Okay, that's Thank you, hysterical. <laughs> but no, like, you totally have the best voice. But you are a change maker, Susan X Jane. Uh,
1: you, I, a, I think of myself as a translator, you
0: know, and yeah, I think but, it goes
1: back to I've always been somebody that's been in between worlds. And so I just kind of carry the story from one side to another to hopefully help people see the world that they're in a little bit better.
0: You yeah, but it's like it is one of your superpowers. I'll take that. Thank you. It is one. Thank yeah. You. Receive it, please. Yeah. I will so receive it. One of the other things before we go and you know, I literally, we could, <laughs> I could yeah. talk to you all day, Yeah. but I remember one Wait, of
1: why th- are we stopping? Let's we keep going. We don't,
0: we don't have to stop. We'll keep going. But I, there are just certain things, quirky little things that I'm like, I'm, I want to talk about this because I thought it was fascinating yeah. uh, that I love about you. So um, you know, you were adopted by a family. <laughs> given a name then you got married given a name so i remember saying to you i just remember one day on facebook um you know and you you know you you can share your previous names if you want to but i remember just seeing on facebook all of a sudden it was like susan x jane and i was like (laughs) okay
1: this this is
0: like yeah it was like i'm like this is like all of a sudden a superhero has claimed a new name or whatever i'm like coming to a theater near you susan x jane so I was like, okay, what is this about? And when we talked about this and you answered me, I was like, you have to talk about this because I thought it was so cool. So will All you right. help my our listeners? So here's
1: the story of my name. Yes. Um, I, was, I was adopted. So I had a name that is lost to the world that no one knows. Um, when I was an infant, my, my mother said that at the, uh, I was a little wanderer. So at the Home for Little Wanderers, they called me Kelly. Um, then my parents named me Susan Jane McDonald. And my middle name is Jane, which was my mother's first name. So the mm-hmm. tradition in the family was that the first daughter's middle name was the mother's first name. Okay. Then I got married. So I was Susan Jane McDonald Owusu. That was Pretty long. Yes. And then when I um when I got divorced on the paperwork, there's a line and it says checkbox to return to maiden name. And then there was a line, I forgot what it said, but like checkbox for new name. And I was like, New name? I can just (laughs) like come up with whatever. I'm picking a new name. So I decided I was going to pick a new name for myself. Um, and I decided I wanted to take a woman's name because I had had my father's name and my husband's name. So I said, I think this is a good time to have a woman's name. Um, and I took an X um, as a African-American. Um, we have a lot of lost names and I think mm. the X represents that. Um, and then I also personally have some names that um, are also lost as well. So that's how I came to pick my new name. I highly recommend it. It's extremely inexpensive. And for under $200, you can just make up a new name, whatever you want. So So
0: let me ask you this. When you chose the new name and you took on the new name, do you feel like anything internally or externally shifted?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a word girl. So I think that, um, you know, I believe very much in the power of the word to make manifest things in the material world. Yes. I believe in that very, very, very strongly. And so I feel like that was a part of wanting a new name was to want to manifest a different element of myself. And so, uh, and for sure, I definitely felt different. Um, and it was something new. It was something that was uniquely mine. Um, my mother loves it. My mother mm. did this little like end zone dance she every did. time she hears it. She's so, and she says to my father, she's like, I got one. <laughs> so, um, so she really loves it. And it just, uh, it feels like me, which is really exciting. And so I think that um, for a lot of women, you know, that you go through that period of time of changing your name. And I don't know if anybody had ever told me before that you could just name yourself whatever you felt like. And so yeah. I did. Yeah, you should too. If you're listening, change your
0: name. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's fascinating because when I, I I think it's so funny because when I got married, I didn't get married till uh, later in life, like Mm -hmm. 40s, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember um, being like, I said to my sweetie one day, um, I love you to, first of all, with my accent being Karen Lester, who lived on Hattie Road, like (laughs) Lester, I'm Karen Lester, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was just like, uh, I've been Karen Kenny, like my whole life yeah like that's my name and and most people who know me really well don't even call me karen they call me Mm k or Mm -hmm. k2 or special k or some variation of that so i'm like i don't even like whatever but i was like you're cool with me not taking my name and especially as a writer and as an artist i was like i that's my like whatever that's my signature i mean but
1: you know the google is real like i won't even lie i googled the name before i picked it
0: Oh, you did? Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah, because I thought, you know, first of all, Susan Jane is a really, really, really common name, but Susan X Jane isn't. Um, So I was really lucky in that the name I picked was good. But it is hard (laughs) because as a woman, like I also, I got married, you know, in my 30s. Yeah. I I lost everything I had done before that had been on Google, gone. Then when I got divorced, again, same thing, everything that I was before, gone. And so for a woman... What's in a name isn't just about you know like that kind of patriarchal do you take the man's name but it's it's also can have a major impact on your profession that is a sure. real challenge oh no, right and and then people just can't find you, you know? So it, it is kind of a big deal in this era where your name is kind of the thing that people use to search you. So it is. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. And, and I think not having any changes has been wicked helpful for me. And I just, I, I watched it. women who came before me who were, um, you know, going through the rigmarole of changing their name back and bank accounts and social security. Like, and I just was like, I'm not doing any of that. Yeah. Like, this is me, whatever. And yeah, you know, it's interesting. Cause I had never thought of the, the Google search. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that there are other Karen, a lot of other Karen Mm Kennys, but I will usually come up like pretty high at the top because I have a lot of content out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you like that name is like the balls. I was just like, man, that was like bold. And I thought it it it. was really, really cool.
1: I, I did decide to change my name. And then I was like, well, what am I going to call myself? You know, like um, Ron Artest changed his name to, to Meta World Peace. I was like, all right, that's not a good that's idea. That's oh, Old Dirty <laughs> Bastard changed his name to Big Baby Jesus. Um, that was a runner up, but yeah, I thought yeah. maybe not that either. And then I realized, you know, my mother had always called me Susan Jane. And, and the, I felt like I really needed to hold on to all of those generations of names that had belonged to me at one point that had been lost. And, and as soon as I heard the name, like in my spirit, I was like, that's my name. That feels like my name. So, I
0: think it's yeah. fantastic. And yeah, I love it. That's really you did good. It. Yeah. yeah it and I, good. And I highly encourage people like that. That's the thing though. Right. I think when, if you move through the world, um, feeling most like yourself. Like that's so much of where your power comes from, and you. Cho- when I think back as a woman, to all the names I have been called over the years, mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. from sweetie to yeah. cunt, yeah. right? From yeah, boy yeah to bitch to yeah. this to that. I'm like I've been called, <laughs> I have been. I haven't been called bitch a lot. I've been called a lot of things uh, a lot. But I, have you been <laughs> called a bitch a lot? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah interesting so i'm not saying that as a judgment in
1: both good and bad ways sure in loving and non-loving
0: ways sure but even with names it's like first of all we give the meaning that everything has but when i think mm-hmm. back to all the things that i've been called i think how you call yourself what you yeah. call yourself how you identify is so important and so um This thing that you've done in claiming Mm. a name for yourself, Mm -hmm. like that's really like I just want to like let that land for a moment Mm -hmm. because I think a woman saying, "This is how I choose to identify. This Mm -hmm. is who I am in my own eyes and in my own mind," like that Mm -hmm. is really powerful. Yes.
1: And, and, I, and that's been a lot of my life. I think it connects with the issues of race as well as that. Uh, my life has been about walking this line where I'm both defined by other people outside of me, and I am pushing back and defining myself. And I feel like as I get older, that kind of push pull is starting to meet kind of in the middle uh, uh, like a stasis there's there's definitely always going to be that push and pull but I feel more comfortable occupying the space between those pressures rather than feeling like I'm always you know wandering from one side to another I I find I've reached a place where I am most comfortable on a line in between spaces and that that's my space to occupy
0: that's beautiful yeah that's beautiful. And I think that that's all, I mean, it's so, it's like, I really believe, you know, I often say it, it happens, it happens for us. And I think that mm-hmm. like your whole childhood, like everything has been leading up to these moments.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. You know? I feel and- like this is, this is what this life is for me. You know um, mm-hmm. I feel really lucky and blessed that it is so clear to me what this is. Um, and so, you know, I think that we live A million lives, and we have a job to do in each one of them, a lesson to kind of pick up as we breadcrumb our way across the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel really lucky that it's so clear for me in this life. Um, but this is, this is what I am meant to do, to kind of walk in these in-between spaces and to report back to people what I'm finding, what I'm seeing, um, the stories that I collect as I go, and my own story about kind of walking those lines. That's why my uh, consulting firm is called uh, Navigators, because I feel like that's what I do, is I'm kind of walking these. Yes. lines uh, that are in between. And that that's what I'm really interested in is not what are these spaces that we like to think exist separately in the world, but how is it that we actually move, fluid move from, through mm-hmm. these spaces that we've created? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's powerful. And so you're doing this, um, you know, professional work in a really powerful way you are sought after because you're Mm -hmm. awesome but tell me something about um i mean i also know you as a writer i know you as um a speaker but if you like like for me so like i'm working on this memoir like so this Mm -hmm. podcast this you know video cast this show that i'm doing um i'm so jazzed like i had a tv show for like 13 years local access yeah Yeah, but this was like okay i i I, this is a passion project i want to do this i want to be helpful Mm -hmm. i want to use this platform to bring, first of all, people that I love who I think are really mm-hmm. smart, who are changing the world and doing stuff to give them a voice too. Um, I think this is how we all get home as we go together or not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, I want to get this memoir done. Like this is a really you know big thing that I'm trying to do. So do you have any personal passion projects or things that you're working on right now or envisioning or anything? Is yeah. anything like kind of brewing? Yeah, I
1: always have something all right, off, mean, if you could see to this side, I have a whole chart of projects <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, and I love the podcast. I've been thinking about a podcast. It is, I do. It I'm, I know. I'm waiting for you. It's a labor, it's a labor yeah. but I'm on it. Um, so I I have some ideas about that and I've been cooking on that. Um, also working on memoir. I think it's important to kind of share what this experience is. I've been in a few strange places that I think <laughs> would be good to share, um, but I love to write and I love to speak. And so um, I write at my blog, Semantics, and also anywhere else that I can find out there on the web Um, you can google me Susan X Jane it's just me so that makes me easy to find yeah but I also am working on some longer writing projects I think a lot about the world I love uh, both literature and memoirs so I have projects in both of those spheres um, that I'm working on Um, like nonfiction
0: like nonfiction like when so uh, the longer projects you have memoir and then the other thing is it still nonfiction are you talking uh, about one of
1: each one of each uh, one is I really would like to create a a layperson's guide to race and representation <coughs> because, okay because, um, could yeah. please
0: could you please yeah yeah, yeah? because how I feel I like people,
1: people just get get mad like that's racist that's racist and it's like you know well how can we actually tell it's not actually based on your personal opinions there is a way of kind of thinking about this <laughs> um and so I'd like to do that it's kind of an extension of my blog semantics so like when the Gucci sweater comes out like you don't just get mad you can say oh actually this is a way that I might think about this to kind of figure out whether it's racist or not
0: surprise it was Gucci spoiler uh, alert (laughs) but I love but this is what I'm saying like you the, the you have um such a unique perspective like you're though it's it's like um i don't know it's like the divine just said like we're gonna give give susan the power of vision to see and we're gonna have like you're gonna have these personal experiences like you said when you call it this is what i talk about this is what i do like different but like similar same different same different but what i do in my work is like whoever went ahead first report back. Yeah. (laughs) So when you report back, but like you're doing it in such a multi-dimensional way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just like, I just, I just love it. And you're, you, you you make it really, um, like there's some tough love in there, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, sometimes you get, yeah, you just got to take fucking medicine, you know? Um, but I think that you make these concepts, these ideas, these truths, you're a truth teller. Which, like, that's that. That to me is like the the sexiest thing you could be, right? (laughs) Like, drop some truth. But I think that you're making these concepts. So that project, I like. I can just tell. Spiritual team just went yes, like when (laughs) uh, a layman's guide too, because I don't think people, Mm -hmm. again, for whatever reason, fill in the blank, understand or even know how to look at how our world is set up as a racist system. Like, I just don't yeah. think they get it. Right. It's, but
1: it, it's challenging because the way it's set up is hidden from you, you know? Yes! Um, and it's also like when we think about media, a lot of us don't really understand how media gets to us, you know? You think about a commercial – You know, someone in an advertising thing might have spent, you know, uh, hours and hours looking at research, or they put together a slide deck of all of the things that you might think and feel and want. And then out of that comes this piece of creative work, and then it's an ad, and then you don't understand why you want pizza at three in the morning, you know? (laughs) So, it's like we don't always understand the way that the life that we consume gets to us. I think that's part of the challenge for us as Americans. We are consumers, but we don't always understand the system of consumption. And whether it's animals or media, those are both the same things that we are consuming products that are brought to us disconnected from the actual processes that bring them into our world. Amen. And when we begin to think about what is the kind of ethics of that process then we uh hopefully begin to move our consumption to be more ethical as well
0: yeah but that means we actually have to slow down enough to question everything yeah Yeah. and people would say to me like so you know on your spiritual path like how have you like whatever gotten to this place and Mm -hmm. i say because um I am vigilant for the quality of my thoughts and I question Mm, everything. And mm, I've been questioning things for a long time. I've been questioning things for a long time. And, and I want to understand, I've always said like Tim O'Brien, the great writer, Tim O'Brien says, you know, Yeah. Writers tend to be the kind of people that like to enter the mystery of things. Mm. And when I was a little kid, like I came out of the womb going, why, mom? Why, 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 why? And I know a lot of kids do that, but like, I never stopped. Mm. Right. I'm always like, why would they do that? Why does man do what they do? Right. And I'm fascinated by it. And I was an advertising major. Right. Right. So I because I'm like, oh, I understand because there's so much psychology that's happening Mm -hmm. There's so like it all play, you know, it all plays a role. Class structure. What do we want them to think about themselves so they'll buy our shit?
1: Right, right. And that's not happening just in marketing. That's happening in politics. It's happening at all of these levels where people are thinking about how can we create a system that will work and that will keep things Stable, keep things reproduced. How they are. Yeah, we can see now as people are wanting new ideas or new ways of thinking, look at how disruptive it has been to our culture. And so for kind of the powers that be that want to conserve the way that things have been to be conservative means to kind of keep things the way that they're being. Status quo. Yeah. And, and to challenge that is extremely disruptive and it creates all of this kind of chaos that where things have to then filter out, kind of like shaking up a snow globe. Then we have to wait for things to kind of settle, to figure out, you know, what's what.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And I think that there's a lot of fear of things shifting, you know, when I look back,
1: Spiritually, always shifting. You don't control any of this. And I think that we get comfortable, and that's where that comfort is like, I'm comfortable that this is my world and I control it. And it's like, we don't, we don't control very much of this at all. You know, if the trucks mm-hmm. stop bringing food, we're going to be in trouble pretty quickly, you know? So,
0: but uh, sorry, yeah. go ahead.
1: No, go ahead. Finish. Uh,
0: no, but I think that there's a lot of subtle ways that stuff is happening, but I also mm-hmm. think that the powers that be, I mean, just look, look at some of the great um, political and spiritual change makers of our time. Mm. When you look at, you know, you look at um, Gandhi, you look at Martin Luther King Jr., you look at the Kennedy brothers, you look at this one, this one, this one, right? What happens to the people who start to use their voice on a big, in a big way? And they say, shit has got to change, right? What happens to all of them? Mm. They kill them. Yeah. So I think a message has been sent to us in some very, like, again, gross and subtle ways and really like, Mm. like big ways of like, this is what happens. If you start to get a little too big for your britches, this is what happens if you start to get a little bit too loud. And, you know, one of the things that...
1: There have been been five organizers of the Ferguson protests that have died in the last couple of years.
0: (laughs) You see what I'm saying?
1: I mean, it's not, that's not just history. Even now, it's still extremely dangerous to speak out. Look at Jamal Khashoggi. It's very dangerous to speak out.
0: But one of the things is, though, it's like... You know, it's like that incident, which, you know, and I told you about on the elevator Mm -hmm. and I I thought to myself though, first of all, I called on the strength. I called on the strength of my mother and I called on the strength of God that moment. Mm -hmm. But I just knew like, I'm like, I, I'm, uh, how do I say this? I'm more afraid of not being the person that I know myself to be. I'm more afraid about not speaking up and not being who I am and all that I can be. Than I am about, like, what might they do to me if I say something? Mm-hmm. And I think at some point, and that's a personal choice, right? Because we have to, everybody gets to decide for themselves what risks that they're willing to take. Mm-hmm. But I just know, like, if I see you um, hitting a child, now I'm not saying, like, you know, your kid ran in the street and you grabbed him, you were like, oh my God. I'm saying, like, if I see you abusing a child, abusing an animal, abusing a woman, abusing anybody, hitting somebody, being racist, like, da 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 da. There's a pretty long list that I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to tolerate. Right. Um, and I, I understand it. Again, it's a personal decision. You have to say like, th- I can't, but I'm the kind of person where I'm like, here's an example. So my dad, my dad. So when I decided to move to California, um, one of the things why I didn't want to leave is I was like, my mother was here, meaning her body was here. Her body was buried mm-hmm. here. And I like, I didn't want to abandon my mom. Right. And so I was like, I need to start to do some research. And this was the beginning of me starting to write, write for my book. And, um, and so I reached out to the police department. Uh, I reached out to the guy who was the, um, uh, district attorney. Um, mm-hmm. he was the assistant district attorney at the time. I, I met with him. I met with some of the detectives who were still alive, who were mm-hmm. her case. And I had lunch with my father, my stepdad. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was fascinating i'm saying so, I'm, like, I'm always like it's in the books to so read the book but this one little snippet i remember saying to my father um because i wanted to know he and i had never ever talked about what happened to my mother so mm-hmm. here we are probably like that happened when i was 12 so almost like probably 10 years later and we sit down in the diner and it's a power it's a powerful scene but i the the short short version of it is i just said to him what do you think happened that night mm-hmm. and he said i always told your mother that her mouth would get her into trouble one day And I was like, like, I still like, I feel that, like, I still feel that. And Mm. one of the things that um, I've realized, I said this about myself just the other day, I heard myself say this in my head because I won't tolerate that kind of shit. And I remember I I said something to somebody and I thought to myself, one of these days, your mouth is going to get you into trouble.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. And I just thought to myself, but I couldn't live with myself. Mm. I couldn't live with myself any other way. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, we have to decide for ourselves what we're going to be willing to tolerate. Mm. But that
1: right there, that is the voice of the powers that be. It's a voice that tells you one of these days that mouth is going to get you into trouble. And think about how powerfully silencing that is, that you tell, I mean, we tell girls, I bet if you ask girls who are, are bold and powerful, if they've heard that, I bet they've all heard that phrase. Mm-hmm. And we're trained, you know, you know, keep your mouth shut. But like you said, like, how else can you live with yourself? That that's what it is, is to say, yeah, yeah, that is what my mouth is going to do. And here it goes. Let me open it up you know, so that you can hear what I have to say. So thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful.
0: You're welcome, sweetheart. Thank Mm. you for listening. And I just remember, like, you know, here's the thing about, um, you know, and you talked about this at the beginning about how you are identified sometimes overlaps. So Mm. whether you're a woman and a woman of color, or whether you're gay and you're this and you're this, like all the, all the different Mm -hmm. ways we can be identified. And I remember, um, I have a friend who's a brilliant, well, I wouldn't say a friend. We're like acquaintances, right? But Mm -hmm. uh, she's a fellow writer. And her and her husband, um, back when Trump was getting elected, they did a website called the No Trump Vote. And they Mm -hmm. invited all these writers to write essays about why they wouldn't be voting for Trump, Mm -hmm. right? And I did this whole essay about my mom and this situation. And and one of the things that I said is I learned at a very young age, because my mother was found... um, half naked from the waist down. So clearly Mm. somebody was, he was trying to rape her or do something to her. And, um, and I understood that, um, you know, she fought. Mm. My mother was a fighter and she fought. And so Mm. I always say like, you know, one of the things that I learned at a very young age that having, uh, I'm just going to be direct here for Mm -hmm. women of the world, having a pussy is very powerful, Mm -hmm. but it can Mm -hmm. also get you killed. Yeah. And you can get killed by saying no, Mm. no, no. But it can't stop us. It can't stop us from saying no. Not on my watch. No, I'm not going to tolerate that. No, mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, because how, if we're not if we're not looking out for mm-hmm. each other, if we're allowing those things to be done to our brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. it's like you don't get to escape being part of the problem. Do you know what I'm saying? No,
1: no, no. There, there is no, there is no neutral in that. There's no neutral when we're talking about people being harmed, um, and people being protected for, for the work that they do harming people. Um, you don't, you don't get to be neutral in that. And if you feel like you're being neutral because you want to stay comfortable, you should know that you are, have chosen the side of the oppressor. Um, you don't get to be neutral in that. And, and just like, having a pussy is very powerful but can get you killed having a voice is very powerful and can also get you killed yes but the more of them they are the easier it is to to use it and I think that we're seeing that now too which is really exciting we're seeing lots of people um, use their voices and uh, use their power that they have as an individual whatever it is that you do um, to do things really well you know when I I said I went to that inauguration my aunt made my hat so she she, (laughs) I can't be there but I'm gonna knit you (laughs) yes no and so like that you know we literally we 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 put on the spirits of our, our sisters and we go out and we fight together.
0: A hundred percent. And I remember somebody um, once asking somebody, um, you know, will you lead this organization? Will you step it to, up to the helm? And they, they had said, basically, um, you know, I don't want to lead on some level. Like, I, I hope people get the spiritual meaning of this. I don't want to lead anything. Uh, the age of the soloist is over. Mm. This is the time for the choir.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they said sure.
0: they can't kill everybody in the choir. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so when people come together and raise their voices together, mm-hmm. it's so powerful. And I'm so grateful that you chose to share your voice with us today. Like thank it thank has been such a powerful you. and impactful conversation. And I just love you even more. Every time we hang okay. out together, I just
1: love you. I know. I love it. It's so great. But I feel like, I mean, that's what we need is for people to be able to kind of have these conversations across lines and and hopefully feel motivated to say, like, I can be a part of change in whatever way that I can in my environment. You don't have to be fancy. You don't have to knit a hat and go to a march. You can just decide to show up every day and see people for the full humans that they are and to use your power to make sure people are safe.
0: Yeah. And I think the people who feel inclined to do so, like I just did a podcast, my last episode was about, um, uh, I was talking about Mr. Rogers and how when scary things would happen Um, in the world, his mom would say, look for the helpers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was saying how it's, it's no longer, it's no longer enough to look for the helpers. You have to become the helpers. Yeah. So yeah. we're being called to personal, uh, personal action and to, to yeah. step forth, um, for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, it has been a pleasure. And so I always mm-hmm. say, like, I always do this when my spiritual team is like <laughs> dropping something into my head. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I, there's something here. There's something here and you, you get to say, no, I always say, you know, I'm not okay. making you hang out with me, but I feel like there's some sort of event or an evening talk. There's something where we, we get together and we invite people into having a conversation. I know what an incredible facilitator you are too. Mm-hmm. And I think together, like we could create something, um, really, I don't know. I still, I don't know. It's just a tickle. And I'm just saying, I, I, I'm I want to it. Yeah, I want to further something. So we'll talk yeah. offline. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah, about it. To. But I'm would. like, let let's do it. Let's do it because yes. I don't think, especially yeah. here in the Northeast, I don't think enough of it is happening. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I'm absolutely into that, and and I think that we know different people, and that would be interesting for people to come together across those lines.
0: A hundred percent. We definitely do. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. I'm pretty jazzed about that. So, Yay. yeah. So let me just say, is there any padding words? Is there anything, uh, final inspiration or something that's welling up in your heart or your mind that you want to share with the listeners? And remember, I'm going to post all of your social media links. So people mm-hmm. know how to find you. Mm-hmm. But um, do you, so as far as online, um, do you have a, a business page or a professional page where people can go like or follow or your Instagram or anything? I do.
1: I'm on, I'm on all social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, I have a blog, which you should follow um, so that you can keep up on my reading. And I also have a business page. Um, so my blog is semantics com. That's where you can read my writing. And my um, business blog is culturenavigators.com. And what is your handle on the
0: social media so people can
1: find? Uh, On Twitter, I am SusanJane19. And on Instagram, I am SusanXJane.
0: Perfect. I'm so excited. All right. Is there any final, I always like to give people, you know, a final opportunity if something uh, wells up in their heart. Is there any final thing that you want to share? I think the most important
1: thing is to tell people you can be a warrior for justice. You can make the world a better place Um, wherever you are with whatever you have, whatever skills you have, you can make that happen. Yay.
0: Yay. You are a warrior. (laughs) I love you.
1: Yeah, I love you too. Yay. This This is is a a great great conversation. Thank you,
0: sweetheart. And look how good he was. He was so quiet the second time.
1: I know. I'm going to go out there and there's going to be a hole in my couch or something.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I know you're going to fall in love with my friend Susan X. Jane as much as I love her. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening and I hope you really listen. And you guys, if something that she said landed in your hat, um, please, please, please share this episode. It is so important. Go and follow her. Read her stuff. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, she's going to blow up. And you're going to be saying, I listened to her back when, and she's already big. But I'm telling you, she's going to like, Poo! Uh, the world hasn't even begun to see. I'm telling you right now. So, I'm so happy to be um, be in your world and in this world thank with you. you at the same time. So you guys, thank you. thank you so much for listening. I see you. I celebrate you. I appreciate you. I love you wherever you go May you be a blessing Mm. Bye Hey you guys Thank you so much for tuning in To this episode of the Karen Kenny show (laughs) I super duper appreciate Your time, friendship and Support and look if something That I shared from my heart today Somehow landed in yours I'd love to hear about it So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days and let me know what your favorite pot was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E.